Hey, would you guys pray with me? Let's pray together. Awesome God, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you like disruptions? No. Mm. <laughs> oh, wow. This is going to be a good sermon. This is going to be good. Oh, that's awesome. Well, by definition, I was not ready for that. Wow. That was awesome. Okay, by definition, a, dis- uh, a disruption is a disturbance which interrupts an activity, event, or process. So, in fairness to what was just said by our audience here, probably minor disruptions don't bother us too much, right? Depends. Someone popping into our office, the middle of the day, unexpected phone call, our order not being ready on time at Walmart. Those we can work through. And then there are the moderate disruptions that maybe bother us a little bit more. A flat tire, the internet is down for the day, a medical bill we weren't anticipating, a sick child. And and in some ways, probably we would all agree, right, we can manage those. But when we think about disruptions, when we really think about disruptions, there are those other disruptions. Those disruptions that actually change our life. Car accident cancer, a struggling child, difficult interaction with a parent, losing a job. Those disruptions are different, right? Those are the emphatic, no, I don't like those disruptions. You know, those disruptions, they can change what we value, what we give our time to, how we relate They can change even bigger than that sometimes our worldview, our perspective on life, what we believe. And let's be honest, we all do whatever we can to avoid those disruptions, even the small ones. But the reality is disruptions can actually be an incredible instrument for change. We're about to take a journey into the Gospel of Mark over the next year and a half, and we're going to dig in and unpack the life of Jesus through the eyes and writings of the first Gospel writer, Mark. And Mark tells an exciting story, and my hope for us in some ways is that this series will be a holy disruption. Mark is referred to as the go gospel or the action gospel. The word immediately happens over 41 times, at least 41 times, depending on how you translate the word in the book of Mark. And that word literally means behold. It was written in, the, in a unique way in the first century. We often don't think about this, but actually the four gospels, there's not a, a, a real genre that we can understand what they were in. They were not very biographical per se because a biography usually gives the span of someone's whole life. They were very specific and unique, and they were written in this very important way of unpacking and describing who Jesus was. And, and Mark is kind of broken up into three different sections. You've got the first section where we really see what Jesus did and they're wrestling with who he was in chapters 1 through 8. And then there's kind of this in-between where the disciples are really wrestling with who he was. And then that's 10, 11, and 12. And really the second, the third section of the book, 10 through 16, 12 through 16, is really about the cross and where Jesus is headed to the cross. So it's really just a snippet of his life, but it's this fast action, fast-paced picture of who Jesus was. 
And this book, Mark, what he's trying to do is he's trying to bring change into his readers. He wants to cause, if you will, a holy disruption in our lives. And my proposition for us this morning as we start this series is this, that Mark is inviting every single one of us to encounter Jesus so he can disrupt every area of our lives. Are you ready? I mean, Mark wants to disrupt us fundamentally by shaking the foundations of our metaphysical and ethical views of life. He wants to present Jesus in a way that will disrupt the patterns of our life, the activities of our life, what's significant in our lives. This journey we're about to take has the potential to disrupt what you think about Jesus in every way, the way you think about the church in every way, and what you think your life is for in every way. And I know you're thinking, Brian, whoa, this is week one, bro. We got 70 more to go. Calm your horses. Calm your horses. Think of it this way. Mark, you know, when you go to the movies, right, there's kind of two ways that movies start, right? There's kind of the, the slow-paced, we're going to ease you in movie, you know, where they, they pan the landscape and they kind of show all the characters and their normal day activities. And then there are the movies where it's like, boom, we're on the battlefield, right? Like, right in, we're starting, it's action, here we go, here we go. And that's what Mark's doing. Mark starts on the battlefield. He's like, I want you right from the get-go to be so shocked and disrupted by who this character Jesus is that it makes you go, whoa. He doesn't ease into things. He doesn't want us to be comfortable. He, from the get-go, drops the mic, breaks into all of our comforts, and causes disruption. He doesn't want you to ease into the account of who Jesus is. And so this is how he begins, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This story is bigger than we can imagine, and it will disrupt everything in our lives. And right here from the get-go, Mark wants to disrupt how you understand story, how you understand religion, how you understand politics, how you understand relationships. He wants to disrupt everything just in those first few words. He exposes what our problems are and where we need disruption. And really, there are three places where we need disruption that this verse presses into. First is our gospel story is too small. Our religion is too insignificant. And our kings are too puny. That's what he says in this first verse. And so that's where we're going to be this morning on those three ideas and concepts. Let's start with our gospel story is too small. He says right there from the beginning, the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the gospel. And and it's really quite an interesting phrase that he starts with there. With this, we, we should be asking, is this the beginning? And think about that just for a second. He says the beginning of the gospel Is this the beginning of the gospel? Well, well, it depends. In some ways, right? Yes, this is the beginning of the story of Jesus, right? But is this the beginning of the story of Jesus? 
You can see right away that what Mark's trying to do is make you go, wait a second, there's more to this, right? This guy that we're talking about, Jesus, he has a bigger beginning than just right here in 0 or 3 AD, whenever he was born, somewhere in there. there. That really what he's doing, where is that word beginning referred to in Scripture? What does it bring to mind for you? In the beginning, Like, Mark is intentionally trying to draw our attention back to Genesis 1-1 here. The word beginning, it has biblical overtones, which lends an awesome ring to the opening phrase of Scripture. It serves to recall that it is God who initiates creation, and it is God who initiates redemption. This is the next part of the story. What Mark celebrates is the redemptive activity of God in providing salvation for everyone. And what he's trying to open our minds to is not just this this moment in time, but actually this grandiose story that God has started since the beginning of time that is a single movement that cannot be stopped. And this is the next aspect of that unstoppable story. Have you ever watched a TV show that ended abruptly, that, that there, there was no ending that we knew about. I know not a lot of you guys are going to know this, but a couple years ago there was this TV show called Manifest. It was this really, Steve Martin knows this show, it was this really weird show, like there was kind of this creepy sci-fi stuff going on, they're all trying to figure it out, and then all of a sudden NBC just decided, nope, we're done. And there was an uproar. People went crazy. They were like, we got to know what happens to Joe and Sally and Bobby. Like, what is going to happen? Then we got to know. We live in this mindset that God's story kind of stops. And we need our understanding of the gospel story to be disrupted because it's too small. It's too small when we just say, yeah, Jesus came and he died for my sins and he rose from the dead. It's too small if that's all we think about the story of Jesus. Mark wants to press us into that, that the gospel story is connected to a much greater story, the unstoppable story of God that started in the beginning, is now carrying on to when Jesus entered the world, and this is the beginning of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. Mark gives the good news of the fulfillment of a bigger beginning and the hope of a more expansive eternity. And my question to all of us is, are we living in light of that? Well, let's, let's ask, how would we know if we're not? Well, here's how you might know. Does the news freak you out? Like when you're watching the news and hearing what's going on in the world, does it upset you and bother you and cause you to, to say, oh my goodness, what's going to happen in this life? Easy, easy. You've got to be careful here. When I, um, these are rhetorical questions. I don't want to get any of you guys in trouble. Do you get tired of people? <laughs> See, don't answer these. <laughs> Do you find yourself becoming more and more of a hermit and more and more frustrated with people in this life? That's someone who thinks the show has ended and is living in light of a small gospel story. And Mark says, this is the beginning of the gospel. And he wants to disrupt 
how we understand and how we think about how life works and how our stories are written and what we are a part of. And he says, this is the beginning of that. Will you allow your heart and your life to be disrupted by the gospel, the good news, the greater story? Will you let Jesus disrupt your path, your perspective? Because the path to hope and change is to let Jesus' unstoppable purposes impact and break into our lives. The second problem Mark reveals here in these first few words, the problem that Jesus came to disrupt, is our religion is way too insignificant. We often look at the Jews of the first century and we think, how did they miss it? How did they miss it? What, what, were they, what were they doing that caused them to miss who this Messiah was that broke into the world? It's interesting there, Mark says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you can actually interpret that literally to say, Jesus the Messiah, the NIV version says. And, and he's telling us, this is who the person is who broke into this world, and And what happened with the Jews was really their religion was too insignificant. They were just looking for someone to come in and kind of kick Rome out and and let them rule. And Mark says, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Messiah of the world that can save us from our sins. This isn't someone who's just going to make life easier for us. This is someone who's going to save all of life for us. But we're just like the Jews, aren't we? We shrink Jesus down and apply him just to certain aspects of our life. We push Jesus into the margins of our life where it's easy to allow him to have influence and disruption and not into the center of our lives. I don't want to be sacrilegious here, but we make Jesus out to be a vending machine. I'll give you something, God, if you'll give me something in return. We make Jesus out to be the elf on the shelf. He's the one who's always watching, so I better obey the rules. And when he's not, well, we make Jesus out to be a slot machine. I'll pull the lever over and over and over and over, and I'll just hope that every once in a while something good will happen. We shrink Jesus down, too, because we want him to exist for us instead of us existing for him. This is the beginning of of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The Messiah of the world who broke on into this world to take on all of our greatest problem, sin, and to defeat all of our greatest enemy, death. His name means he will certainly save. Jesus Christ means he is the anointed Messiah. He was ordained by the Holy Spirit and set apart and commissioned and qualified as the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, and the perfect king to carry out the task of saving us not just from our sins, but saving us from death and the pain and burden that this life can end where we're helpless and hopeless. And Mark introduces Jesus into this world and he says, in the beginning, the gospel, Jesus, the Messiah. There's a great story in 2 Samuel chapter 6. We've been, as a church, reading through the Bible. We're taking actually three years on the first Saturday of every month to read through the Old Testament. And if you haven't had a chance to come, well, the first Saturday in October, we'll be gathering again at 9 a.m. to continue reading. And a couple months ago, we read through the book of 2 Samuel. 
And in chapter 6, there's this really great story where what had happened was uh, the tabernacle, which, was where, which represented and was where God's presence was. And we learn about that beginning in Exodus, and then it helps the people of Israel know and celebrate God's presence. And David, who's king in 2 Samuel, he realizes that the tabernacle was on the margins or outskirts or the corners of town. And, and there's something that happens within him where he says, wait, God isn't meant to be on the outskirts of our lives. He's meant to be at the center of our lives. And there's these, this great story about how they usher in the tabernacle back into the center of Jerusalem. And they're so excited about bringing God back into Jerusalem that the story is actually told where they would take ten steps and they would stop and they would worship. And then they would take ten more steps and they would stop and they would worship. Because the people of God were saying, what we need is not for God to be on the margins in our lives. We need him to be in the center of our lives, right at the heart of what we need. And what brought out of their hearts was this deep worship and praise of who God was because God then became the center of everything. My friends, if, if coming to church is just a part of our lives, if reading our Bibles is just an infrequent activity in our lives, if singing praises to Jesus is boring, then we need Jesus to disrupt our lives. Jesus the Messiah. Because this is not just the story of a man. This is the story, the good news, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ the Messiah. And the path to hope and change is to encounter Jesus as Messiah and allow his saving work to be applied to all of our lives. And then in this tiny little sentence, Mark unveils one more problem that Jesus came to disrupt, and it's this. Our kings are too puny. Our kings are too puny. Mark 1.1, 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that may not have the same ring and power to it that we hear in that. But for the people who are reading the Gospel of Mark in the first century, that phrase in and of itself had so much depth and so much power that it would cause people to shudder. It would cause people to wonder. It would cause people to go, what are you talking about? This was Mark's mic drop moment at the beginning of his story. When Mark says that Jesus is the Son of God, this is that moment where we should feel uncomfortable, challenged, and confronted. Why? Well, three ways. First is, Mark was absolutely making a political statement here. History tells us that Caesar in Rome was referred to, actually specifically referred to as the Son of God. That was his title. And here what Mark's saying is he's making a direct political statement to anyone and everyone who would read this. And he was saying to them, whoever is the king on your throne is not the king. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is the Son of God. He is the king of kings. He is above every king. And he is the only king who is worthy of worship and praise. He's also making a religious statement. In Luke chapter 3, verse 38 Luke is telling the story of Jesus as well. And at the end, in this chapter 3, he lays out this genealogy leading up to, he actually does the genealogy backwards from Jesus all the way back. And in verse 38, he says, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. 
And what, what's happening here in Luke chapter 3 is, is what basically Luke is doing is he's trying to draw the connection. He's saying, when you hear the phrase son of God, the very first son of God who came into this world was Adam. And Adam failed drastically. That all of the pain and frustrations and suffering that we experience in this life is because the very first son of God who was to worship God and obey God and do what God had asked of him failed, just like we fail. But when Mark says Jesus is the son of God, he's saying this now is the true son of God. The one who will come and be the perfect son of God. The one who will live and obey and do what is required of the son of God. And so this son of God replaces the first Adam who couldn't accomplish what he was meant to do. But now we have the true and better Adam, the true and better representative, the true and better son of God is here. He's also making a family statement or a familial statement. This is actually super interesting. In Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, listen to this. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. Now, again, this is one of those statements that we might not pick, on, pick up on because we don't have a Jewish background and we didn't study the Torah through all of our lives. But when Mark says, this is the son of God, the Jews absolutely would have thought back to this phrase in Mark where they would have said, wait, 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 Israel is referred to as the true son of God. And for the attuned ear, we would see the connection to Israel and and we would see the same thing that Adam being the first son of God who failed and Israel being this picture of this family, this son of God that God had created a people who were supposed to represent him in a perfect way that they also failed dramatically. And then so what, what Jesus is saying when he calls himself the son of God, what Mark is saying is he's saying, look, I am the true and better king. You should worship me. He's saying, I am the true and better Adam. I will do what is required for God's glory and fame. And then he's saying, I am the true and better Israel. That I'm going to create a people who will understand what it means to know and be connected to and love and follow God. Maybe you thought of this already, but there's this great scene in one of the Marvel movies where the Hulk is beating up Loki. And Loki's a god. And basically, Loki stands up there and he says... How about, I am a god, don't mess with me. And then the Hulk comes in and he grabs him by his leg and he goes, boom, 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 boom. And he says to the camera, puny god. (laughs) Friends, if we find ourselves never satisfied, always looking for another experience to bring us joy, another person to meet our needs, another leader to bring meaning into our lives. We need Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to come and disrupt us because the path to hope and change is to encounter Jesus as King and submit to his leadership in all of our lives. I have an application question I want you to think about this week. 
what area do you, do I feel like we have it all together in? Yes, that is a trick question. <laughs> but I really want to ask you to think about it. Because that's where we need Jesus to break in and disrupt our lives. What area of your life do you feel like you have it all together? Now, if you're like me, the, it's easy to go, oh, I don't have it together anywhere. But that's not true. We all have areas of our lives where we think we have it together. That if people were more like us, if they thought more like us, if they behaved more like us, if they did things more like us in this area, life would be better. What area of your life do you feel like you don't need Jesus to disrupt? <laughs> Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you think, yeah, we got it together. We know how to do marriage, right? Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your giving. Maybe it's your politics. Maybe it's your parenting. Maybe it's how you view other people. Maybe it's your past. Maybe it's your schedule. Maybe it's your theology. Maybe it's your habits. Would you ponder this week where you think you have it all together? You know, we have to be honest with God and acknowledge that really when it comes down to it, just like we started, we don't like disruptions and we don't want God to disrupt our lives. And Mark says, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This summit church is the beginning of a holy disruption. Do you like disruptions? <laughs> My hope is we will come asking Jesus in these next weeks and months that we'll come asking Jesus to disrupt our lives. And let me warn you, even if you don't want him to, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it's a disruption we can't avoid. We do everything we can to avoid life-altering disruptions, but the reality is holy disruptions are exactly what we need. And this holy disruption, the disruption of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, is exactly what we need. Summit Church. Let's pray. Almighty, awesome God, we look forward to this journey that you are about to take us on. And might we even today see how our story is too small, our religion is too insignificant, and our kings are too puny. And might we find 
the holy disruption of your spirit in our lives to show us that we are a part of the greatest unstoppable story, that we are not a part of any religion, that we are a part of the greatest movement and hope that anyone could bring in following Jesus as Messiah. And Father, that we now have the opportunity to experience the one true and great King who can break into our lives and bring hope and peace and all that we long for. So humbly and maybe dangerously, we say, Son of God, come disrupt us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.